Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. The excitement of the Cricket World Cup has carried over to the Netball World Cup in England with the Silver Ferns pipped by just one goal by Australia in their latest game. Some of the Black Caps have arrived home after their agonising loss to England at Lords. They're probably hoping to move on quickly from it, but we're not. We'll discuss that shortly. Possibly of least interest at the moment is the start of the Rugby Championship. The All Blacks have five debutants in their squad to take on Argentina. Joining me today is sports editor Stephen Hewson, netball reporter Ravinda Hunia and rugby reporter Joe Porter. Well, the defending champion Australian Diamonds scored a 50-49 win over the Silver Ferns in their final group match to decide the top qualifier from their group. After a lean trot in recent years, the thought of the Ferns actually beating Australia was probably wishing too much. Ravinda has been covering the tournament for us in Liverpool. Ravinda, uh, were you surprised at all by the result or actually how the Silver Ferns played Australia? No, I wasn't actually. Um, I had been asked a couple of times before that how I thought the Silver Ferns would do and I thought that they looked good in the tournament, even considering that they had been playing the teams that you know, a lot would say, aren't at their level of netball. Um, It's just a different feel in the camp. The players look happy on court. There looks to be so much structure. And uh, in teams of old, we've seen, you know, changes happening during games, which seem to be for the sake of making changes. Now it looks like everything is premeditated and planned to a T. It doesn't surprise me at all. All that I hoped was that uh, this game was a competitive game, and that's exactly what it was. Ravinda, do you think, I mean, the biggest thing I noticed from that, that match was the way that Nolene Torua made a huge number of changes. Was it, I mean, was it a plan to keep Australia guessing defensively? Yep, I think that it was to an extent. I think that what also came into play was um, I don't think that the Silver Ferns really grasped on how challenging it would be mentally to deal with the physical aspect of that game. I think we saw that with Amelia Anikanasio. She really got inside her own head, which saw her go to the bench there for a little while. So I think the changes were there to take off the players who were kind of struggling there for a little for a minute, but also to change it up as well and to show that there is a lot of depth here. Coming away from that game, you can see that um, the Silver Ferns probably have the strongest bench in the competition. Yeah, I got, I got a sense that, or, or is it a sense that she was still not settled on her starting seven, or is it a the kind of approach that she may well employ in the, in the semi-final against England? Do you, do you think it's sort of trying to just, just keep everyone on their toes? <laughs> Knowing Nolene, that probably has got something to do with it. You don't quite know what you're going to get if you meet them in a semi-final now, because you know that she's trying. She's kind of showing um, a few cards um, that a lot of the other teams uh, can't really show. But um, the goal today was to show that she had a solid seven, and I think she stuck with them for the first half. And then um, in the in the second half, the changes uh, kept rolling. I think the the big change that really struck me was Bailey Mez coming out 
and actually probably having one of the games of her life. I'm, it's amazing to see the progress that she's made under Nolene Todua and for Nolene to have that kind of confidence in her, I think it even surprised the Australian bench as well. At the other end of the court, Casey Corpoa has impressed in her last tournament. Uh, has, you know, just the, the performance and the way she has come on um, and ex- excelling at this tournament, uh, interesting. And also the fact that now there are th- sort of three defenders that can be rotated. Yeah, that's right. And um, Casey's played the bulk of the games um, even up until today. I think she was taken off in the final quarter. So that's a lot of game time for her, considering she um, calls herself one of the fossils in that team now. But, you know, Casey has a lot to play for. Like you mentioned, this is her final competition. She has her family over here. Her baby's just touched down. So, you know, there's a lot to, to play for. And when she's playing, you can hear cowbells in the stadium. So, you know... It, I mean, it's not a home game for her, but I think for her, you can really see that it's a little bit more um, than just this competition for her. So how do you think that semi's going to go, Ravinda? I mean, what, what do you take away from what England, that's, what was it, uh, they went South Africa, lost by about 10 to them? I mean, so... Uh, I, mean, I don't think it's a reflection of what New Zealand can can give them though and it was interesting in, in the um, post-match interview with Norma Plummer although she was probably a bit filthy about the loss she said you know she comes from an Australian netballing background and that's how she's uh, coached South Africa so England might struggle against the New Zealand style of play which I think she she may have a point there with a new invigorated New Zealand style of play. Is there a little bit, Ravinda, of the, the expectation isn't as great on the Silver Ferns here at this tournament, and that's helping? Yeah, possibly. Um, but in saying that, you know, there's also been a lot of talk about them getting the easy side of the draw, and you do have to take that into consideration. You know, Jamaica in their pool, they had to play South Africa and England in pool play, and, and they're now out of the competition, which is very rare for them, and although they're not having a good competition, it's a tough pull. So New Zealand haven't, uh, you know, Australia have been it for them, and it didn't affect um, their role into the semi-final. So you kind of have to take that into consideration as well. But they're just looking so sharp. They are just looking really sharp, and the expectation part I think will come now. Now that they've put out a performance like that, I think there will be an expectation now in the semi-final against England. Let's hope so, uh, and that the finals day at the netball is just as exciting as a week ago, Ravinda, at Lords. Just tell us about, can, you know, have you looked back at that, the Cricket World Cup final, what we all went through, and, and you were there. It, it was extraordinary, and, you know, possibly uh, a, a game like that we'll never get to see again. No, that's right, and I'm quite privileged that I was there to witness it, although once the Super Over kicked in, myself and luckily... 75% of the rest of the media didn't quite know what was going on either. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was absolutely um, – it was was everything you could think of. You were happy, excited, confused, worried. You didn't quite know what was going to happen next. And for all money, you know, the Black Caps were in it. And then when they didn't come away with it, it was kind of a bizarre feeling to be there. Everyone was still – positive and happy, even though the Black Caps didn't get it. And, you know, considering um, Martin Guptill's reaction to the loss and when they knew they had lost the game and um, the English celebrating, it was still, you just knew you were in such a moment that, you know, it was probably never going to be seen again, or not in the near future anyway. And you just knew that you'd seen a little bit of history and it was just a really special moment. 
Stephen, uh, I suppose if you put aside the result and that sort of thing, what do you actually think of the game? Oh, I thought it was great for a final. I mean, could, you couldn't have asked for a better final, could you? In the, in the sense that who knew which way it was going to go. Um, I think what surprised me is the reaction from New Zealand in, in the sense that there have been two distinct camps. There have been the, the camp that said, what a great final, really good effort by the Black Caps, because obviously before the tournament, the thought of getting to the final was uh, possibly a, a you know offence too far. But the fact they got there, they finished runners-up, um, and a team that I would say wasn't necessarily as strong as the, the 2015 side. No. So they've done done well to get there. Then the other side of the coin is people have gone, we were robbed, you know, we were being done by a technicality, that, uh, you know, the Black Caps should have won. And, and I, I just don't really see it that way. So I've, I've been a little bit surprised as, as that the, the two camps there. I mean, from my, my take on it is that there were mistakes from players through the game. There were mistakes, obviously, from the umpires and the way they called that the the great overthrow debate, you know, whether it was five or six runs. But there were mistakes through the game. Trent Bolt stepping on the boundary rope. He made a mistake. The umpire made a mistake giving out uh, Ross Taylor LBW when the ball was going over the stumps. Martin Guptill made a mistake by looking for a review when he was clearly plum LBW. Um, so there were mistakes throughout. You can't pinpoint one particular uh, moment in the game that said this is where it was lost or this is where it was won. Um, so I think the, the the approach should be that that was a really good performance, obviously disappointing from a New Zealand perspective that the Black Caps didn't win it, but they certainly had a chance to win it, and I think that's all you can ask for, that the, the opportunity was there for them to win it. It wasn't lopsided like the 2015 mm. final, I mean, which you know, everyone had, you know, that was a great disappointment after the way things had gone in, you know, in the lead-up to that and the form that, but, you know, that New Zealand had been in that, that, uh, in that tournament. So the mere fact that we had a final which was worthy of a final, I think, it, it was great stuff. You know, there's the debate over the deciding of it on boundaries. I can see people are a bit annoyed about that. But you look back on that tournament, England beat New Zealand in pool play. England qualified highest um, out of those. Um, England uh, also beat uh, Australia and uh, New Zealand's pool play, is that no, right? No, no they, they lost to Australia and but they beat them in the semi-finals. Correct. So they did beat everyone bar India. India. That's right. Whereas we only beat India. We lost to England and Australia. And, so. and we snuck through that yeah. final four on the so point from the washout. You know, England were the better team throughout that, the tournament. Dead right. Dead yeah. right. I mean, okay, okay, maybe we look back and we go, okay, we need to come up with something different than boundaries deciding it. Maybe another super over. I mean, mm. I think that personally I like the idea of the super over. Yeah. But for one day cricket, it's about yeah. there's that entertainment aspect of it. And it is, I mean, I get why they possibly use boundaries. It's about hitting boundaries, you know, one-day game, T20 games, that limited format. Mm, mm. It's another super over. I mean, that would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it's perhaps uh, it's because it happened in the final and the World Cup was on the line. If it had been earlier in the competition, you know, it may have been accepted a little bit uh, easier. But this is sport, of course, as you mentioned, uh, things happen and mistakes are made and there's never uh, anything uh, guaranteed when it comes to sport and also in sport and in, in New Zealand Joe's you know when it comes to rugby everyone has an opinion mm. and as soon as the All Blacks do something wrong yeah. um, you know there's the reason why 2007 you mm. know it was uh, the, the forward pass yeah, yeah. and a couple of mm -hmm. other things mm -hmm. Um, but it is sport, and because it is so uh, random in a way, everyone can have an opinion as to say why um, you know Steve Hansen picked this or um, they didn't do that sort of thing. It's you know, yeah, it's the way we are. No, the only thing I found interesting about the Super Over, 
and I like it. It's better than a penalty shootout. It's far less of a lottery. You know, you've got. But England had just batted and they get to bat again straight away. And they yeah. chuck in Stokes, who had was still in, and uh, who was the other guy? Butler, who had not long gone out and who had been smacking the ball everywhere. Whereas New Zealand have had 50 overs in the field not batting. So I think it does slightly. Advi- uh, it's, there's an advantage to the team that's just finished batting in a super over. But hey, where, where are you going to draw the line? Yeah, whoever thought it was going to happen. Yeah, and yeah, they, well, they, right. they made these rules a year or six months ago and went, uh, oh, I want to do this. And, and the next thing, oh, I mean, that'll never happen, but we'll put that there well, what second else do they anyway. Do? Do they know. throw five people out in the field, and, it's, and yeah. how many of your five can hit this one stump from 50 yards? You know, I, yeah, I like it. I like the Super Rover. It's good. Yeah, well, they've had things like bowl offs before. Yeah, I mean, you, that, I mean a, an open wicket. And yeah. you know, how, how, I mean, how ridiculous. Underarm it and just touch the. I know. No, I like the Super Rover. It's great. It was a fantastic final, wasn't it? I mean, I woke up at four in the morning, got up, chucked it on, and thought I was watching an England procession to the win with Butler and Stokes in there, Mm. um, you know, around the required run rate. I knew it would get to a crunch when they had to start hitting a few more boundaries, and that was when New Zealand obviously took their chances and made a real fist of it. But I thought I was watching an England procession. Then the two quick wickets to get them back into the game, and all of a sudden I'm I'm cussing at the TV, I'm waking up the family, and it's all on... for money, you know, and it was just fantastic. It was just a wonderful, wonderful final, and I'm in complete agreement with Stephen. I think everyone should just see it for what it is a fantastic final, a fitting final, and history being made. And sure, a bit of disappointment the Black Caps came up with the wrong side, but they couldn't have got closer to winning, and England probably were the better team through the tournament. So, yeah, wonderful. It was really nice to see all of New Zealand behind the Black Caps for once. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the drama that the Super Over brought, you know, it really put eyes on the game and on the Black Caps. And although, you know, they walked away quite disappointed, if not really hard on themselves, the team, um, I don't think I th- probably the last World Cup was the last time I saw, you know, people outside of the cricket world actually interested in the sport. Um, but to hear what people were saying back home, I don't really have a feel of what was ha- happening back um, in New Zealand, but I had my in my friends list who don't play cricket they were all about it and they all stayed up and they all watched it and all felt for the black caps when they lost so i thought you know more eyes on the sport and more power to the black caps Stephen, uh, Kane Williamson was player of the tournament. Just goes to show how good he is. I don't know uh, where you'd now rate him in, in New Zealand cricket. Numbers-wise, <laughs> you know, he, he's the best, uh, I, I suppose. It's just incredible the way he goes about things. I mean, if you looked on his face, you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a clue as to what state the game's on. Whether he's you know whether you know they're, they're five down for nothing and he's at the crease, or he's on a hundred and fifty, and you know it's just he's just so ice cool and that's his huge part of his success he doesn't seem to get flustered certainly externally um, no matter what phase of the game things are at he twice that semi-final and the final he obviously read how things were going to play out 240 odd was was going to be um, a, a defendable target uh, and yeah he's I mean without um, they wouldn't wouldn't have got anywhere near there I mean he and Ross Taylor between them scored what or was it just uh, just came? Was it thirty percent of the runs? I mean, that that says it all. The, that the said, over here. yeah, that that said in the, the media one over here was saying every press conference, oh, Kane, when is someone else going to help you out with the bat? Yeah, yeah, and, and but that that said, in a one day game, that is, it's that top order that usually uh, are the ones that that yeah. do do that because they got more time at the crease and everyone sort of coming down from sort of six and below has got sort of seven or eight overs max to try and. Uh, achieve something, but absolutely without Kane Williamson, there would 
there would have been no World Cup final for the Black Caps. I don't know if uh, ice cool is what the All Blacks need this weekend. They start the Rugby Championship against uh, Argentina. And as I said earlier, Joe, uh, perhaps that's a, a, the, the sport of least interest, it appears at the moment. Um, just your feelings uh, going into this rugby championship, because as we talked in, during Super Rugby, it's all about the World Cup this year. So what are you looking for? Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I guess I'm looking for the same things And as the coaches and selectors are. We, we all want to see how the debutants will go. Sevi Reese on the right wing gets a start. And the four on the bench, Josh Uwani is first five. He's obviously the next cab off the rank should Bowden Barrett and or, and or Richie Mwanga go down during the World Cup. And we all know how fragile all-back first fives can be in the World Cup year. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes off the bench. Only 24 years old and only one year of Super Rugby under his belt. He's getting thrust into the test environment, and which will be quite a... An occasion over there in Buenos Aires in terms of the, the crowd support and the loudness and the passion. So it'll be a bit, a bit of a baptism of fire and it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Sever Reese, can he maintain the form he's had in Super Rugby? Is he the breakout player this year? Will he bolt into the World Cup squad? This may well be his one and only chance. The Nehemiah Scudder of the, uh, yes, 2019? Poten- he, potentially the only one. I can't see anyone else doing it. So perhaps it is Sever Reese and it may well be his only test to do it before they head off to the World Cup. So a big game from him. Um, and, you know, missing a lot of leadership there with guys like Sam Whitelock, Scott Barrett, the Crusaders front row out. So guys like Dane Coles at hooker, Brody Retallick at lock, Bowden Barrett at first five, Aaron Smith at halfback. Um, we'll really have to step up there. Artie Savia, a big game leader from him at number eight with no Kieran Reid, no Matt Todd. Um, he needs to lead that loose forward trio. So there's guys in some key positions that they'll be looking for big performances in terms of leadership. And then what we want to see from the rest of them, guys like Nani Lambampe, for example, as well as the others I've mentioned in the midfield, can they grab their chance and impress and try and nail down a spot before the World Cup? Whilst guys like Sonny Bill Williams, Ryan Crottier are injured and some of the Crusaders and top-line players are at home, it may well be the, the first and only chance for these guys to impress. The Springboks have sent 15 players to New Zealand uh, this yeah. week, so they don't have their top side playing Australia. The Australians have also left some guys out. Argentina do have 13 of the Jaguars uh, yes. in, the, in their side. So what quality, can we expect sort of uh, you know quality play? or well, they? I suppose when two sides come, come together in an international, they're always going to be going as tough as they can. Can, but you know, when two tribes go to war, is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, it'll be a test match and it won't be a really expansive game. I would have thought the All Blacks will try and do that, but they want to stamp their authority up front first and foremost. So the Argentinians will target the set piece, the line out, the scrum as per usual, um, and hope that the consistency of players they have the 13 Haguarius players. We saw the, the way they operated during Super Rugby, it was very much set piece based, a rush defense based with chop tackles. Um, to try and slow down and disrupt the opposition's ball and then a bit of flair in the back line. So I think the Argentinians will come out in the first 20 minutes and try and throw the kitchen sink at the All Blacks and it will be whether or not the All Blacks forwards can sort of weather that storm, weather all the loud South American support, um, not concede too many points, soak it up and then strike on the counter-attack. And I, I do think that the All Blacks, despite their lack of experience and despite the debutants, in this team will probably put 13-plus on this Argentinian side. I know the Aguaros have done really well this year. The travel factor could affect them a little bit, having come back from, from Christchurch. And I just think that um, perhaps there's a little bit too much expectation on this Argentinian side against what some people are viewing as an understrength All Blacks team. And I have a feel, feeling they might, might well just fall a little bit short this weekend. So, yeah, All Blacks 13-plus for me, even with the weekend lineup. Pumas, though, must think it's... They're, they're, they're well, real chance, to. won't they? I know, I mean, th- th- you'd have to. That is their best chance since whenever, 2001, when they almost got across the line. Um, yeah, a, a massive lack of experience and caps missing from this All Blacks lineup. 
Um, the Haguaris made history by reaching the Super Rugby final for the first time. They'll know how to handle New Zealand teams. They beat the Hurricanes in New Zealand. They did all right against the Crusaders in the final. They've got some fantastic players in their team who who are um, who are obviously in, in fine form and just the consistency of selection and and you know they know each other so well so that's just going to be um, you know they know each other like the back of their own hand so there won't be any issues around combination so they will be sniffing this as the best chance to to beat the All Blacks for the first time ever uh, just yeah I think it might be twenty nine attempts no wins still for the Archies I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, as you mentioned, the, the debutants on the bench also, uh, I think perhaps that uh, what opportunity is someone like Josh Iwani? He's going to be the number three yes. first five possibly at the uh, World Cup. So unless he starts against someone like Tonga later in the season, you know, Luke Jacobson, Matumoli, George Bridge, uh, they've all got to get some game time, I suppose, if they're going to actually be of any use when it comes to the World Cup because, you know, injuries and the yeah. like. Oh, absolutely. I still think that Hansen and co have probably largely selected their World Cup squad already and it will be a lot more conservative than the one we're seeing for the Rugby Championship. So, yes, it is. there's few and far between for the opportunities this year for people to shine. And it's interesting you mentioned about South Africa. They're obviously coming here next week looking to do what they did last year and knock off the All Blacks to take a big psychological edge into, of course, their opening pool game at the Rugby World Cup in Japan later this year. So no one cares about the Rugby Championship apart from these little psychological wedges this year. It's all about the World Cup. Um, and, yeah, these guys get a bit of a chance to impress. Luke Jacobson, probably not. Severis, maybe. Atumoli, no. You know, the, these guys probably aren't going to be in the World Cup squad. But if someone gets injured, if they play well, then it will be them. So that's what they can do. They can give themselves, make themselves the next person on that flight should someone get injured. Only one key interesting point that I was going to drop in. Um no one has ever won the Tri Nations or the Rugby Championship and gone on to win the World Cup in the same yes. year. So, yeah, oh well, there you go. So let's uh, put some money on Australia for the Rugby Championship then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Many thanks to uh, Stephen Hewson, Joe Porter, Ravinda Hernia for um, all of their thoughts today. That's extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.